thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you so much for coming today. We are glad, of course, it's already been mentioned for our, our, our guests, first-time returning guests. We're so glad for you to be here. We, are, we do have a couple of um, young ladies that are here. Uh, if, I, if I remembered the names correctly, Mariah and Caitlin. Is that right? Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a roll already. So we're so glad to have Mariah and Caitlin uh, up here as our guests. She, they came with uh, Sister Selena from, from school, from college at IBC. We're glad that they are taking the time to be with us. We hope that everyone is treating you well. Uh, as it's been said, don't forget our children's service, 1 o'clock this Saturday at the church. And then afterwards, they have uh, rented a spot for you to go and do some bouncing, I think, over off Miller Road. They're jumping and all that stuff, whatever they, whatever they call that. And um, I don't know if there's an age limit on it, but just be wise. Amen. And uh, also, you know, the groups are concluding, life groups are concluding for our winter semester in February. But in March, starting in March, uh, on those Wednesdays, our groups, we're just all going to meet back here at the church come together. We got some uh, ministers that are going to be speaking to us. We've got some singers that are going to be singing that you don't normally see. Uh, our students, I'm sure, are going to be participating in some things as well. And so don't forget that. And it, I would like to say that I, I do need to meet very briefly for just two minutes with everybody that is involved in the uh, student rally that will be held here on March the uh, 17th, I think it is, that, that Friday. So if you're involved in that, I just do need to speak with you before you leave just for a few moments. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. You know, uh, there's a lot going on in our world today. And um, if you've got anything with social media, you've been probably reading about this thing going down in Ashbury, uh, Kentucky, at this, at this chapel, at this college. Um, there are a lot of pastors in their pulpit this week that are addressing that. Uh, I'm not going to address it in the pulpit today, but I do. Uh, I have posted on our members page an article that I think is very pertinent for everyone to read before you uh, come to a judgment. Um, I think in this hour, uh, we need patience and we need discernment. And so I want you to read that article, and for now, that's all that I, I need to say. So I want you to read that, and, uh, and then we'll roll from there. There are things that we are facing in America that we're not facing anywhere else in the world, certainly in third world countries. And there are some things that since we are in America, and uh, even in the community in which we live, the place in which we live, there are some things we have to be on guard against, some things that we've got to make sure uh, is in our spirit, make sure we understand what the Word of the Lord tells us about some of these things. And I want to minister about that today and just want to read a few verses, Matthew 19, 16 through 22 quickly, and then we'll let you be seated. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I might have eternal life? And of course, we know the Lord answered him back, and he says, if... In verse 17, if you will enter into life, then keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, 
honor your father and your mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all these things I've kept from my youth up. He said, but what do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He had great possessions. Amen. With the help of the Lord, I want to try to minister today for just a little bit of today on net worth. On net worth. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Praise God. Today, the citizens of the United States of America are enjoying a level of prosperity that has never been experienced by any nation in the history of the world. Even today's lower middle class, those families live with most luxuries that most kings, well, they live with more luxuries than most kings of the previous millennium. What monarch of past centuries ever enjoyed a flushing toilet? King and all is cracked up to be then. A microwave oven, got to have that. Media that provides instantaneous news from around the world. Where would we be without that? Probably in our right mind. An automobile or a refrigerator. Without question, the American people today live in a staggering level of abundance. Rodney Clapp, in his book, why the Devil Takes Visa, I'm going to quote, be quoting here for a little bit. In his book, Why the Devil Takes Visa, said this. As late as 1850, 60% of the nation worked on farms. They constructed their own homes. They fashioned their own tools. They did their own sewing. They made their own furniture. They grew their own crops. With the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century, factories began to spring up in larger cities producing goods more cheaply and a great deal faster than any individual ever could. During the last half of the 19th century, the value of manufactured goods in the United States rose a staggering 700%. The practice of buying on credit lured people out of their cautious lifestyles. The temptation to have it now was overwhelming. Prior to this time, people would literally save their pennies to buy the item that they desired, no matter how long it took to save up those pennies. There's a lost art. Up to that point, people only looked in the advertisement pages when they needed a particular item, but now they could find eye-opening advertisements everywhere. And for the first time, people were purchasing merchandise that they did not need and they were not actively looking to buy. Advertisers had tapped into a powerful human passion called coveting lust. In the first half of the 20th century, the American citizen was transformed from a need-based to a desire-driven consumer. Retailer Victor LeBeau stated this, Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption a way of life, that we convert the buying and the use of goods into rituals where we gain our spiritual satisfaction 
and our ego satisfaction in consumption. The spirit of the world, you might say the the modern day spirit of Babylon, has lured Americans into going deeper and deeper in debt with the one who comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Yet the enslaving agent in American lives is not debt itself, but rather the love for the things of this world and the easy credit that puts those things into our grasp. American living is characterized by an endless, selfish pursuit for more things and fresh experiences. But what is most tragic is that in large part, believers differ very little from the unsaved in this area. We are working just as hard to get ahead. We're in just as much debt. We buy just as many unnecessary luxuries. I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm just trying to state the obvious of the spirit of the day in which we live. And we have got to be on guard. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw daggers here. I'm trying to obey the spirit. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. It's not the matter of just being a part of a church for a little bit of time and say, well, that's just something I did one time. God has got your eternity in view. And so too does our adversary. We buy just as many unnecessary luxuries. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we might just be just about as every bit driven by our desires as those outside of the church. But I stand in this pulpit today to say this. We need to be reminded that coveting, the desire to have more for me, the desire to have something so that I can be something, the desire to keep up with the Joneses, the desire to have the latest and the greatest, that coveting lust makes a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ. We cannot be all about self and all about Christ at the same time. We cannot seek first our kingdom and seek first his kingdom. We cannot have it our way and have it his way. You see, the secret is occupying until he comes. The secret is where our treasure is. That is where our heart is also. Boy, this is some old school stuff, I think, today. Hallelujah. And if a person continues to give in to covetousness, I, I've just got to do what I feel the Spirit leading me to do. And I'll let the word, I'm going, to, I'm going to read more scripture today than I probably have in all my sermons, all my messages up to this point this year. So we'll just let the, we'll just let the, the word do the talking. But if a person continues to give in to covetousness, it won't be long until a creeping deception begins to permeate their heart. And it sounds like this, and it looks like this, the more one has, the more one wants. 
The materialistic person will be driven by money's promise of fulfillment and will, come and will accumulate thing after thing, one thing after another, until one day, to his horror, he discovers his net worth. Net worth is defined as the value of all the assets minus the total of all liabilities. Net worth is what is owned minus what is owed. Another way of putting it, it's what we have minus what it cost us to have it or what it cost us to get it. I am here. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear. That cost, cost is far more than money. Cost is far more than the dollars and the zeros at the end of our bank account. I like more zeros at the end of the bank, uh, the number than at the beginning. My carnality likes that. And yours does too. It's this way. We all know that. However, if we trust in that, if we get our peace by looking at the number on a bank account, more than we get it from the biblical fact that my father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold and all the silver belongs to him. And according to his word, it is he who gives us the power to make and to earn wealth. And the Bible said, he will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. I am here to tell you right now that in the last days in which we live, we must learn to understand what we need versus what we want. Because what we want can take you from God. But what we need drives us to God. And we don't have time to play games. We don't have time to try to do it our own way. Do you realize that in the last days it's going to be the greatest test we've ever seen? But I've got news for us. We have, I love a teacher that gives me the answers to the test. We're, on a, we're in a test, but the answers are right here. He gave us the answers to the test. He gives us the answer to the test. He tells us what to be on the look for. He tells us, he gives it in so many terms. He says, you want to know how your house is going to stand? If you build it on the words that I speak. If you build it on the words that I speak, it's going to rain on you. You're going to feel the wind. We think that we're going to be, we're going to be exempt from the storms. Jesus didn't say that. He said, the storms are going to come, and the wind is going to blow, and it's going to beat on the house, but it will not fall because it's built on a rock. And the rock is what we need. The rock is all and all. In all, through all, above all. Praise God, the sound man's got his hand on the button today. He's trying to turn me down when I get loud so it don't blow you out. Most thankless job in the church is that sound guy back there. That's just the way it is. Hallelujah. We all want to add it up at the end of the day. And when we all add up the net worth, we want to be in the black and not the red. That means what we have 
shouldn't be less than what we, we owe. But I'm here to tell all of us, we all owe. What do they say the most certainty in, in, in America? The two most certain things, death and taxes. You're going to, we all owe. And humanity owes a debt. Humanity owes a debt that's been passed on to us from our forefathers all the way back to Adam. It's passed on to us. Moses couldn't fix it. Daniel couldn't fix it. David couldn't fix it. Samuel couldn't fix it. Elijah couldn't fix it. But there came one finally. When the fullness of time come, who could fix it? He could fix it. But understand something, that the debt is still owed. Greg Swears, I love you, my friend, but you still, you still owe a debt. And there's going to come a time when the reckoning is going to have to take place. And the ledger is going to be opened up. And that debt's going to have to be paid. We can't get away from it. There's death. The Bible said it is appointed of a man wants to die. And then judgment. That's kind of the death and taxes type thing, I guess, that we've, we've uh, adopted here in America. We all want to add it up at the end of the day, and I like, I like, I like getting more than what I got to give. I like, having, I like being in the black at the end of the year. Being in the red's not so good. But you see, God's kingdom operates on another level. It measures worth by a different standard. He said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. He said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Jesus said this, the fool is the individual who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. I read an illustration not too long ago about a well-to-do man, a wealthy man, a, well -aware, a very well-known man very had some great societal status and social status. In the, and then there was a kind of a poor man, a modest man. Both died to go to heaven. You know, St. Peter meets him there. And, hey, how you doing? Hey, welcome in. Let me show you to your mansion. And they go to the, 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 the modest guy's mansion first, the kind of the poor guy. Nobody really knew him. He just kind of, you know, he just, nobody knew who he was. And uh, they get there, and they, they take him by, and, and uh, he shows it to him, and man, it's just, it's overwhelming. When he looks at the mansion, he looks at it, it's overwhelming. It's just, you can't even describe it. I mean, it's just, everything's perfect. It's just, it's just there. I mean, it's like, wow, this is, this is, it's beyond comprehension, you know. And uh, so the, the poor man, the modest man, he kind of goes in, and now Peter takes the well-to-do man, the man who's got, you know, he's got some status, and he's got streets named after him and all this other stuff. And they get there, and they come around this corner, and he says, well, here we go, and he looks at it, and it's some, it looks more like a lean-to, more like a lean-to shack. You know, they used to put the horses in when it rained. You know, it's got like just barely tar on the, on the top, and, and no, there's, there's holes cut in the, in, the, in the walls, but there's no windows in it. And on the door, it's kind of like just a, a badger skin thing just kind of hanging there, you know, that you kind of walk through and walk out. And there's no asphalt in the driveway, no concrete. There's no shrubs. I mean, what is growing there is overgrown, and, and it just doesn't look good. I mean, the, there's no shutters. There's no, there's, there's nothing. It's just, it's, it, it looks like some place that you would stay if you had no other place to stay, and you were in quite desperate. And the guy says, I don't quite understand. And Peter just simply tells him, listen, uh, listen, uh, we, we did the best with the materials that you sent up here. 
We did our best with what you sent us. Listen, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. We brought nothing into this world, and we're not taking anything out of here. And if you don't hear anything today, you hear this. A man's worth is only what he has in heaven. Oh, I'm not interested in itching ears to hear what I want to hear. What I need to hear is I need to be warned. I need to walk circumspectly. I need to look and be made aware of the things that will endanger my soul. And I am here to tell you that a man is only worth what he has in heaven. I'm going to tell you again, young man, I listen, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I, I'm not telling you not to get a job. Matter of fact, get a job. All right? Y'all hear that? Get a job. Parents, let them get a job. Let them struggle. You know the greatest adversary you'll ever go into in your life, uh, sis, is not facing any adversity at all. The greatest adversity you'll have is not facing any adversity at all. But hear me, hear me, students. You will never be worth what your bank account says you're worth. You'll never be worth what your automobile, your automobile will not define your worth. I feel my help coming. Your automobile, your home won't define your worth. I'm here to tell anybody who will listen, you will be worth what you have in heaven because it's only what's in heaven can never pass away. It, moth can't do it. A thief can't break through and steal. Nobody can touch what you've laid up in heaven. Hallelujah. I want to talk briefly about this age of grace that we live in. You know, in John chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. He was doing miracles. He fed 5,000 plus. All you can eat, fish and chips, dinner. And uh, he fed them. And they, 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 they sought to forcefully make him king. And Jesus recognized something. He said, they are misassigning the miraculous. They're misunderstanding what these miracles are for. And so he departed and went into the mountain all night. And the next morning he comes walking on the next night he comes walking on the water. And then they're looking for him. Where's he at? Where's he at? And then finally he said, well, wait a minute. We left you. You was over there. How did you get over here? Never mind. Never mind. Now that you're here, we want to make you king. And Jesus begins to speak to them. He doesn't perform another miracle for them. This is what he says to, he says to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, in John 6 and 26, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. I thought, I thought they saw the signs, and that's what they, that the signs that they, see, there's a difference here. The Lord said, you're not seeking me because of the signs, but it does seem to me that that's what they're coming after. But the Lord is telling us, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracles, because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. They were not seeking him. Please hear me today. Hear the word of the Lord. They were not seeking him because they wanted the life that the signs pointed to. They wanted him to use his supernatural power to enhance their lives on this earth. Hear me today. 
signs and miracles and wonders are not for here. They are for the life that is to come. The Lord, by, by emptying wheelchairs, is saying, there's no cripples in my kingdom. But there are cripples on earth. But better for you to be crippled here and be whole there than to have your right mind and all your right body and lose your soul in hell. Because you're only worth what you are in heaven. We got to be careful in this hour not to miss a sign and misappropriate the miraculous because the Lord even said in his word, I'll send the miraculous among you. I'll send false prophets among you to test you to see whether or not you're going to obey my word. Not my feeling, not my spits and wrinkle bumps, but my word. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. The signs are not for here. The signs point to the life that is to come. And he's saying you didn't what you're not seeking the signs because they pointed from what for what is to come. You wanted them for right now, how I can make your life better. And Jesus said, That is not how this works. And notice he began to talk to them and talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And the Bible said many of his disciples followed not him any longer because they couldn't hear what he was saying. Well, I, I, the only thing I want to know is what you're going to do for me right now, Jesus. We have a world that wants Jesus to change their eternity, but don't touch my life. I want you to change my destination, but don't change my life. Oh, my goodness, our guests that are coming here today say, man, if I ever get out of here, I ain't ever coming back. <laughs> yeah, you will. If the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you, this is bubbling up in your soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Their full bellies represented earthly prosperities. I got to hurry. They were not interested in serving Jesus as much as they were in Jesus serving them. Paul said this way about, about those, that sect of people. For many walk, and I've told you often before in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We're in a day and an hour when the grace of God has been completely perverted. Sin is done without conviction. Repentance is an anomaly. The fear of the Lord has been abandoned for a superficial concept of grace. If we were to search the scriptures, and not even the scriptures, but even the government of mankind that was based on scripture. If you look at the kings of old, biblical and even in the monarch in our world, the king's very presence demanded obeisance. When the king would show up if you were on your feet, you immediately went prostrate before him. You want to know what would have happened if the king came into your presence back in the old 1500s, 1400s, even some tyrannical kings in the Bible, and the king walked into your presence, and he just showed up into your presence, and you just stood there and went, what's up? 
that was your last word and testimony. Hear me. When the king walked in, his presence demanded obeisance. Any frivolity, any contrary activity was halted immediately. If you were goofing around and playing games and the king walked in, somebody would say, bow before the king. And, and you'd stop what you're doing and you bow before the king. Now they did it in fear. But let me tell you something. Here, thus saith the word of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord. There's a lot of frivolity in our approach to him today. He walks in in his presence and we become so used to it and we become so callous to it and we become so frivolous in our approach to it that we just don't recognize when the king of all glory comes in. And you know what he's got to do now? He used to just have to walk into the building, but now he's got to take us and throw us against the wall. And now he's got to make us move like we've never moved before. Now he's got to do something to shake us and to stir us. I'm here to tell you something. If you come here looking for him, He's just a whisper away. He's a worship away. He is a heart's surrender away. Praise God. Today we're casual. We're passive in his presence. When Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, he had King Zedekiah's sons put to death right before him. He had his eyes gouged out, and he sent him off to Babylon in chains, a broken man. When Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, he sent a message to, message to King Ahab. He said, your silver and your gold, they're mine. He said, the best of your wives and your children, they're mine. And, king, and Israel's king answered this, just as you say, my lord, the king, I and all I have are yours. The conquered doesn't come out to face his new master with a list of conditions. Somebody hear me today. The conquered does not come out to meet his new master with a list of conditions. No, the conquered is in trouble and he knows it. This, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is what conversion looks like to God. Our kingdom is thrown down. And a new king reigns. <laughs> the come boldly before the throne of modern Christianity has been grossly twisted. There's an approach with the absence of fundamental fear of a king. In the Bible, no one could just approach the king on his own terms. I wonder, sometimes I prayed, Lord, what does the boldly approach the throne look like to you? This is what I have come to find out in my own personal walk with God. That when the enormity of my sin overwhelms me, when my crimes against God stagger me, have you ever told God I love you and you want to just take those words right back and cram them back down your throat because you know he deserves a lot more than what you're giving him? when my crimes against God stagger me, when the reality of my unworthiness is too great for me to bear, when the knowledge of my condition terrifies me, 
Oh, when I approach having nothing to offer God, I've got no merits to stand on. I've got no resume to, to impress him with. And knowing that I can do nothing to save myself, I come boldly unto the throne pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is in that moment that he gives grace to the humble. Go ahead and approach God any way you want to. But he resists the proud look. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the broken, a broken and a contrite spirit. He will in no wise cast out. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, in the book of Revelation, we are painted two very different pictures of two very different brides, two very different women who represent two very different kingdoms. In the end, it's really the only two kingdoms that exist. In Revelation 17 and 3, the Bible said, He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was written a name, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. And then in Revelation, Revelation 19 and 6, it said this, I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen, for the fine linen, is the righteousness of the saints. We have two very distinctly different representations. One, purple and scarlet, decked with gold, precious stones and pearls. A, a gold cup is in her hand. She's riding on a beast. That means she's got control of things. She's got control of things. She's showing authority. And the other is a woman standing in a white linen garment. You know, I, they're going to help me with some pictures here, but, you know, and I, I tried to get as modest as I could, so hopefully I don't offend anybody today. But, you know, we've got Hollywood, and then we've got Little House on the Prairie. Look at that spread. That spread right there, that's, uh, man, is that a guest house for that house, you think? Over there? Wow. That's impressive. Hey, go back to that other one. I want to see something right here. I might want me one of those. Is that a big, huge chessboard right there? Let's see it right there. Anything? <laughs> wow. Man, there's more lights than at the house than there is in, than there is in Target. Okay, we, we got these mansions. We got these homes. And then we got this little modest. Oh, I don't know. That, that looks a lot like what we used to live in there in Mount Morris. That, that's probably about 800 square feet maybe. About right. Three bedrooms, eight kids. Oh, now there's a there's a Bugatti. Yeah, yeah. And there's a Chevy Cruze. (laughs) 
may appear a no-brainer. And in honesty, if we were honest with ourselves in one of these areas, we all have a temptation to lust until the net worth is determined. In the Bible, the first representation, that woman that had the, the gold and the pearl, the costly array, the purple, the scarlet, riding on the beast, had authority. This is what the Bible says when the account comes to, when the account comes due. In Revelation 18 and 3, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, so bear with me. For all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. You realize it's not her alone. It's not this kingdom. A kingdom has subjects. We cannot be a subject to this kingdom. I heard another voice through her delicacies. I heard another voice, maybe a delicacy of that big chessboard at that place. I don't know. I don't want to go to meddling. Another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. Verse 17 of Revelation 18 said, how much, shall, how much she's glorified herself. She's lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she says in her heart, I sit a queen. I'm no widow, and I see no sorrow. Therefore, her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And she shall utterly be burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her. For when they shall see the smoke of her burning, they say in verse, 18, verse 12 of Revelation 18, the merchandise of gold and the silver and the precious stones and the pearls and the fine linen and the purple and the silk and the scarlet and all manner of the vessels of ivory and all the manner of the vessels of precious wood and all the brass and the iron and the marble. Wow, and the cinnamon and the odors and the ointment and the frankincense and the wine and the oil and the fine flour and the wheat and the beasts and the sheep and the horses and the chariots and the slaves and the souls of men and the fruits that your soul lusted after, oh, are departed from you. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught and the voice of the harpers the musicians, the pipers, the trumpeters, the ones who sang your praises. They shall be heard no more at all in you. There's no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in you. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in you. And the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall be heard no more at all in you. After the accounting is done, no status, no business, no education, no house, no lands, no vehicles, no bank account, no portfolio, no friends in high places, no Facebook or Twitter followers. When it is all stripped away, her net worth was zero. Even though it looks like there's so much in the world. When the net worth is figured through, there's nothing there. I wonder if we might just raise our hand for a moment. Lord, what's my net worth? And then there's that second representation as I bring it in here. 
In Revelation 19 and 7, he said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor for him to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Revelation 3, 4, and 5 says, you have, you have a few which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white. I'm just going to give you a white robe, for they're worthy. He that overcomes shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He said in verse 18 of Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich and white raiment that you might be clothed. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I do count them but dung that I might win Christ. I don't have a place to stay. I, don't, I might be beaten today. I've got shipwreck. I've got hungers. I've got fastings. I've got trouble on every hand, but I'm not distressed. But everything that I gave up, everything that I walked away from as being the chiefest of chief Pharisees, he said, I count it all but dung that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is, is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You take that individual and the same accounting is done. The same accounting is done when we stand before the Lord. We'll have no status. We'll have no business. We'll have no education. We'll have no house. We'll have no lands. we have no vehicles. we have no bank account. we have no portfolio. we have no friends in high places. We don't have any likes on Facebook. We ain't got no Twitter followers sharing our stuff. But yet when you look at it, our net worth of those who have done what the Lord said to do, our net worth will be priceless. You won't be able to put a price on what you are worth. You might say no to the missionary. Listen, don't, don't read into what I'm saying. If the shoe fit, wear it. If you might say no to the missionary because you want to have something for you. Turn me down just a little bit, bro. You might say no to the missionary because you want to have something for yourself. But that thing won't last. But you might say no to yourself and you might sow into a foreign field and somebody over there receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and goes into their town and preaches the gospel. I'm telling you, you just laid up a treasure that can never be taken from you. Don't let any job or any education take you away from the kingdom of God. Any, I, I, if I'm against your parents, then, I, then I'll, 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 I mean, how, how, how am I going to work through that? Don't take any job or any education that costs you the kingdom of God. And anybody that encourages you to take a job that keeps you from assembling yourself together, as the manner of some is, so much the more as we see the day approaching, and trade your career for the kingdom of God. They're not helping you. You know what they're helping you for? This life. But you're only worth what you have in heaven. Oh, I just heard somebody in their spirit say, but yeah, that don't pay the bills. I got news for you. That's a lie from hell. Man, that was almost spoken out loud in my spirit, sis. That don't pay the bills. Oh, oh, I beg to differ with you. He supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. 
Is this all right? Is this all right? Mariah and Caitlin, is this okay? Okay, if she gave me the okay, I guess I can finish. You're only worth what you have in heaven. Let me finish. You know why you're priceless? You're priceless because of what you have beyond. There's going to be a white throne judgment. Small and great are going to stand before God, and whoever's name isn't found in the Lamb's book of life is cast out. And here's what the Lord says about that time. After, after that judgment, he said, it's done. I'm Alpha and Omega, Revelation 21, 6. I'm the beginning and the ending. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of life, water of life, freely. You know, right now we can come and drink of the water of life, but it is only here that we can drink of it freely. Here we strive to drink it. We got a battle to drink it. But there, there's no tempter. There's no resistor. You can drink it freely. And verse number 7 of 21 says, He that overcomes, you want to know your net worth? Shall inherit all things. And he carried me away, verse 10, in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me a great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of God from heaven. And it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the 12 gates were 12 angels and their names were written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And the wall of the city was 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the building of the wall as it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Verse 21 said, And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Isn't it amazing? The Lord's not going to take up an offering to uh, put asphalt in heaven. It's going to be gold. <laughs> Giving is not about him. Giving is always been for us that we might draw closer to him in understanding the totality in which he gave. And the more we do, selflessly, sacrificially, joyfully, cheerfully, the more we draw closer to understanding what it was and how it was for him to give. Praise God. And that's not just resources. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them, verse number 14 of Revelation 21, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, the building of the wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like under, under clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Verse 21 of 21, the 12 gates, 12 pearls, transparent glass, 22. I went backwards, but that's okay. We, that's no problem. I saw a temple therein, and the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Verse 23 of 21, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Verse two, Revelation 22, verse 1 said, and he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. 
In Revelation 21.3, I heard that great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. In Revelation 21 and 4 said, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, and neither shall there be any more pain. Someone said hallelujah. And listen, but here, you know where there's no more pain? That sign is not for this hour. That sign is for the eternity that is to come. It's telling you there will be no pain there. There'll be no sorrow there. There'll be no crying there. I still cry here. I still cry here. I still strive here. But when I get over there, I won't have to strive no more. I won't have to cry no more. Blessed are the dead in Christ for they are rested from their labors. You won't have to fight no more. The next time your eyes are open, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. And finally, in Revelation 22, 3, 4, and 5, and there shall be no more curse. Verse 4 says, and they shall see his face. And verse 5 said, and there shall be no more night there. The life on the new earth and the heavenly Jerusalem is going to be glorious. And the liberty that's enjoyed by the children of God in the heavenly Jerusalem will be, at, will be beyond human comprehension. Truly the suffering of this present day is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Time will be unknown to us. We will traverse the boundless realms of creation quicker than the speed of light. We'll be able to go anywhere we want to go. We'll be able to go to the farthest expanse of the creation of God. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know if there is one of those. I don't know if there is an end to God's creation. I think it just, it just might be forever. And that's all, within, that's all inside of him. Let me finish with this. <laughs> and that city, that new Jerusalem, 1,500 miles square. I'm finished. 1,500 miles square. That means it's 1,500 miles across this way, 1,500 miles the length of it, and 1,500 miles high is the city of New Jerusalem. The Bible said that it has 12 foundations. I tend to, I tend to lean toward or just consider this. Not 12 foundations laid on top of one another, but rather in that 1,500 miles high, there are 12 floors, 12 foundations. Every, every one, you've got a first floor, you've got a second floor, and a third floor, and a fourth floor, all the way up to a 12th floor. And at 1,500 miles high, that means it's 125 miles between floors. That's quite an elevator ride. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house, there's many mansions or rooms or abodes, however you want to look at it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In that new Jerusalem, 125 miles between floors. If you were to separate, if you were to divide that up, and the math is correct, if you were to divide, to divide that up, that 1,500-mile square city, 125 miles between each floor, if you were to divide, to divide that up into one 
mile-squared mansions. In other words, your mansion, a mile wide, a mile long, a mile high. That's, that, that's a lot bigger than that thing we saw in the picture right there. And you know who the architect is of your mansion? It's not flesh and blood. And he does all things well. Perfect. Matter of fact, he looked at it from the very beginning, how he was going to create it at the end. He said, it's good. It's good. One mile square mansion. Now here, I'm going to finish with this, this fact, and then, I'll, then, I'll, then we're going to ask if you, if you've never made a start for the Lord, if you've never repented, if you've never said, Lord, I want to make a change, we're going to invite you to come to this altar in a minute. We'll just, we'll just simply walk up front. We're going to pray with you. We're not going to pray at you. We're going to pray with you because there's not a soul that's going to go to heaven that does not have to repent. You're not going to get there without it. If you've never been baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, that is burying the dead man that you want to turn from. We're buried with him in baptism. It's in the waters of baptism where our sin is remitted. That is where it is paid for. The Bible said you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we divide that city into one square mile mansions, we would have a total of 3,375,000,000 mansions just in the city of New Jerusalem. And each mansion is a mile long, a mile wide, and a mile high. That's a big spread. Let's say there's only half of that many people coming to heaven. So you got one that's two square miles. Consider that if I was to decide I'm going to go visit Bishop's mansion at noon, I'm going to stay there for an hour, and then at 1 o'clock I'm going to go see my nephew Josh. I'm going to go see Josh, go visit his, his mansion. Go visit Matthew's at 2 o'clock, and Jake, I'm going to see you at 3, and Alex, I'm going to go visit yours at 4. If I decided to visit one mansion and stay there for one hour just to see what, wow, look at, look at, look at this, brother. This is great, just to rejoice with you. And I did that for 24 hours a day, and I continued that without break for 7,000 years. I will have visited only 61 million 332,320 mansions, which leaves me still 3,313,667,680 mansions yet to visit. I ask a question. What, what in this life, what is this life in comparison to that one? Stand with me. You're only worth. Thank you so much. You're only worth what you have in heaven. I'm going to ask you to come and pray. Move your food from your seat. If you've never made a start, if you want to renew your start, if you need to refresh yourself, if you need to make some commitments to God, we're going to let you come here in just a minute. Listen, there is a dividing line. The Lord said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And that sword is the battle of the kingdoms. There are two kingdoms at play here. There's the kingdom of Babylon. There's a kingdom of this world. And there's the kingdom of Christ. 
There's the kingdom of the Lord and His Christ. There's that kingdom. There's only those two kingdoms. This one is the flesh. That one is the spirit. Nothing we do, nothing of the flesh is going to be of any value over there. That's why we've got to have faith. That's why we've got to trust the Lord. That's why we've got to walk in faith. That's why we've got to fight spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. That's why praying and fasting are not options in the kingdom of God. They are the weapons of our warfare. Holiness is not an option. It's not an added extra. It is the power of God. Our power is in separation. And any revival will always bring repentance. It's going to bring change. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to choose him more than I've ever wanted to choose him before. Can you raise your hands? They begin to play. They're going to sing a song. If you want to move from your seat. Come up here. You know, if you will do the accounting, the Bible said if you will judge yourself, then you will not be judged. If you will come to this place today and before you leave this place, you will judge yourself by the word of God. The Bible said you won't be judged because it's the word of God that is going to judge you. And where the tree falls, that's where it lays. So I would encourage us to let it fall right here. If you're moving up to this altar, I ask you to come all the way up front. We've got so many coming.